As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. This is Talk of the Devils, the Manchester United podcast brought to you by The Athletic. I'm Ian Irving and with us today are Andy Mitten and Carl Anker. It's been another eventful week, shall we say, for Manchester United and we'll certainly talk about Richard Arnold's trip down to his local and also the latest on United's quest to sign a footballer of which Andy Mitten has got involved with now on Twitter, you might have seen. We'll talk about that as well. But first of all, um, Laurie's not with us today because he's at Glastonbury Festival. He's seen Harry Styles. He's ticking off all the big things this summer. But the big question we've all got is, how was Nile Rodgers, Andy? Nile Rodgers is fantastic. Okay. Uh, I watched him in concert. He's with his band Chic, and I knew he was a songwriter. didn't realise that he'd worked with David Bowie and Madonna and Duran Duran. And, yeah, it was brilliant. It's just keep feeling every time we go out it's just nice to be able to do things like this again after a couple of years when we weren't able to do it so I don't have real proper time off in 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 the summer but June's the month where I do less you can't fully unplug because the news never really stops but means I can do nice things like this so I enjoyed it a lot yeah okay that was a very serious answer Carl wasn't it did you expect some more some more joyous Verses from Andy about Nile last night. Oh no, I love a bit Nile. Just I did. I went to watch him at Best of All. I want to say 2013. I had the same thing Andy did. So Nile just comes out, says sorry, I'm late, but uh, had some bad family news, and we all go, oh, we're really sorry. Chant, and Amy goes, look, just because of that, I'm going to play some of the hits, and he goes off on one. He says, look, some of you may know me from Chic, but I'm going to do a little medley right now of songs I've written. So if you go, oh, that's so and so's song, understand? I wrote that. Starts playing Just Dance, David Bowie, plays some Madonna songs, plays some stuff with Slister Sledge, and you're going, oh, this is brilliant. Then he goes, you know, a couple of years ago, he got told he needed to get his affairs in order because he got diagnosed with what he thought was terminal cancer at the time. And he said, well, I'm a musician, and I got told, get your affairs in order. So I thought, I need to make a song that would get me a lot of money quite quickly to look after my family. And then he started playing the bar, so get lucky. So, yeah, Nile Rodgers. If you can go watch him live, you should go watch him live. Really nice book. Goes canaling around Liverpool as well. Do you want more upbeat then? Do you want me to say that I told my wife I'd be the fourth or third best dancer in the old concert and she just said, just shut up and grow up. 
on what basis are you saying that? And I said, well, Spanish people aren't renowned for being decent dancers, are they? It's just, just shut up and enjoy the concert. But yeah, I mean, I, I danced well, mate. I've got, I'm pretty proud of how I danced. Okay. Have you just buried the flamenco there as well? <laughs> I have. I, and I know the way this podcast's going, because what you said at the start. And the Macarena. I'm going to have to get out of Spain pretty quick by the end of this podcast. But let's get, let's get roaring on with it. Yeah, I think that's best. Let's talk about the football. The weekend brought uh, an interesting story, didn't it, for Manchester United, with news that Richard Arnold had met a group of fans who were planning to protest at his house, and he'd cut them off at the pass by meeting them at the local pub. It sounds like he'd been tipped off about what was going to happen, and rather than them come to his house, he decided to go and meet the supporters, buy them a pint, and talk about their concerns. Andy, what did you make of it all? Feelings are still running high, Ian. Uh, We've still under the cloud of the Glazer ownership and have been since that takeover. I've said it before, it should never have been allowed to have happened in 2005. And what you saw at the weekend was a result of that and the strength of feeling of that. And on one hand, I'm thinking it's good when fans are protesting and showing the feelings, absolutely entitled to do that. They've always done that in, in, a, in a peaceful manner towards the end of the season. Uh, on the other, I saw... A lot of debate about it, people saying, is it right that we should be turning up at, or intending to turn up at people's houses? Uh, I saw a fallout from it on social media the next day. My first reaction on the Sunday when I saw it was, you, you've seen names and faces now on the back page of the Sun newspaper. And with that will come scrutiny. People want, will want to know, who are these people? Uh, and with that comes pressure. And I could see some of them falling out with each other. You should delete the video, you shouldn't delete the video. People dragging up historical tweets which didn't reflect well on individuals who were there. I don't think Richard Arnold came out of it that badly, if I'm honest. Uh, but he does work for the Glazers. That's the bottom line. Now, his argument is, I'm new into this position and I can see what's been going wrong and I'm going to make changes and I have been making changes I respect him for turning up in the pub. The fan base is so divided, though. Who are these fans, people say? Who are these people? I had people straight on to me Sunday morning. Who are they? Never seen them at a game before. Who are these people? Recognise him. Isn't that that lad who's so-and-so? And it's a divided, fractured fan base. It is not united. And there's a lot of intolerance and tension within that fan base. And there are things which people agree on. I don't know any Manchester United fan who thinks the Glazers are good for Manchester United at all. And that'll come to a head again this week when we expect more dividends to be announced, to be taken out of it. But I've been in fan politics for a long, long time. I did a lot of a lot of it in the 1990s. I was at all of these meetings, I was involved in putting money in, our own money into start groups like Imusa, uh, which became must. And I've seen a lot of good people come and go along the years. I see people come with bursts of energy and enthusiasm and they're everywhere for three or four years and then they just they just have enough and they just walk away. I've seen people form a new football club, FC United. My brother was one of the first signings to play for that football club. So I, I know a lot of these people very closely. And it's pretty sad that the fan base has been split. Yeah. It, and and that, that, that was as a result of that takeover. With United We Stand, we lost... Half of our writers in 2005. Really difficult. Yeah, Carl, you wrote the initial story uh, or contributed to it on The Athletic. Adam Crafton has since written more of an analysis about what Richard Arnold had to say because there was some interesting stuff in there and it felt like he was speaking with less of a filter 
than we maybe would come to expect if he was making a public address. Yes. So uh, there are two or three moments where Richard Arnold says something where I think quite a few United fans have go, oh, it feels good that the person in charge of Manchester United can confirm some of my fears about the club. I think the particular segment where he mentions the billion that had been spent and said, if you, if you go to our training ground, you can't necessarily point to it, I think speaks to a lot of United fans who say a lot, you know, there's been some transfers that haven't quite worked out or there's been managerial successes that haven't quite worked out. So that's uh, calming is perhaps the word for it. Uh, and again, of course, you know, Richard Arnold's probably speaking with a level of candour because he doesn't realise he's being recorded, which is his own sticky situation. Do you think he would have been aware that he may have been recorded, though, or at least that he would have been quoted directly by the fans who were there? So even though we sort of interpret it as him speaking openly in that group, there's probably still a sense that he's aware that what he's saying is going to be is going to be reported in some way of some form. I think it would have been naive of Richard Arnold to go into that situation and not believe what was said would end up being fed through a channel somewhere that might have ended up in front of a reporter eventually. Um, and like Andy said, Richard Arnold is comes up pretty well at this. I think, how can I put this politely? Richard Arnold is good at his job, but his job is to work for uh, ownership, uh, a model and a collection of owners that a lot of Manchester United fans do not care for, which makes everything a little bit sticky. There's only so much honesty you can speak for when your job isn't necessarily to make fans think, yes, we can remove these certain large obstacles that you think are obstacles uh, when his job is to report to those people that those fans may view as obstacles, shall we say. That said, Andy, do you think it was stronger what he said than you would expect on last season, on the club's transfer policy in the past? A a, a dig, it seemed, at Ed Woodward that's been clarified by the club since, but a lot of people still took that as a dig at Ed Woodward when he said, doesn't that ring a bell? if you want me to run the transfer business. Fans aren't stupid. If he would have said that our recruitment has been acceptable, fans would have just laughed, laughed it out. I think he spoke what everyone can see. Last season was terrible. Last season wasn't acceptable. A lot of money has been wasted using a recruitment model which has failed. I think all of that is fair comment. And if you're Ed Woodward... Uh, who brought Richard Arnold into the club, by the way, because they went to um, university together. Uh, I remember interviewing Ed Woodward in 2013 and him saying of Richard Arnold, I knew what his capabilities were. And he's been there. I interviewed him in 2015 and he was very, very good at striking commercial deals for Manchester United, for bringing the money in. And I think... He's learned from the mistakes, or wants to, of Ed Woodward and not be making any sort of football decisions. I think every fan would welcome that. But it's a tough time for him, as it is for the manager. We've seen how far Manchester United are behind rivals. And Richard lives in the Northwest, as everyone found out at the weekend. Ed Woodward moved up a bit, but mainly stayed in, in London. 
The Glazers are obviously in Florida. Richard Arnold has been communicating a lot with fans, with different fan groups. His perspective will be that stuff like the fan advisory board, the fans forum, all this communication, the Red Army um, has all made progress, which it has. Because I can remember when the club cut all communication, equally you'll have militant people who say there should be no communication whatsoever. The Glazers are the enemy. Any form of communication is a form of, of compromise. And it's pretty complicated. Carl said sticky. It is sticky because everyone thinks they're right on this as well. And there's not a lot of listening going on. Why don't we just do this? Why don't we just do that? What we should do is this. And I've seen decades of it. It gets so tiring um, because everyone thinks they know best. And when you get involved in fan politics, and let's not forget, these people are doing this on a voluntary basis as well. That can become really, really tiring as well. Because what's your end result? I think if you said to United fans now, would you like Jim Ratcliffe to buy the club from the Glazers? You'd get resounding yes, yes, yes. Because he's self-made man, he grew up in Greater Manchester, he's a United fan. But what if you got someone saying, okay, a Saudi consortium wants to buy Manchester United, or a Qatari consortium, starts to get pretty problematic. Not that I would ever advocate the highly leveraged buyout which the Glazer family did to take control of Manchester United. It's a dis disgrace that that was allowed to have happened. And we've still got the hangover of that now, 17 years on. And it's not going away. Well, the debt hasn't the only changed, thing that does it, really? It, the it, debt's not changed. It's almost exactly the same as it was when they started. It goes up and down a bit. Um, interest rates have gone up and down a bit. There were times when it looked really ominous, and that led to the green and gold protests uh, over a decade ago. Um, success moves the criticism. The There are incidents like the announcement of the Super League, which brought on a wave of criticism and protest it's complex and it and it will continue to be um complex you want a change of change of ownership which a lot of fans do but the owners have got no intention of selling so do you want the best people working for the football club to do the best job do you want the best manager do you want the best players do you want the best executives i think most manchester united fans would say that but it's a difficult time look at the number of staff who've who've left manchester united in the last year on all sides of the club. There's not a week goes by when I don't get a phone call from someone. Um, Andy, I'm leaving the club. And I write some of them stories if they're in the public interest. And I don't write them if they're not in the public interest. It is a time of seismic change at Manchester United. Okay, if you want to read more about Richard Arnold's pint with the fans and everything that he had to say, go to The Athletic. Adam Crafton's article's up there and also the article that Carl contributed to as well. And of course, you can get a new subscription to The Athletic for just £1 a month for the first six months. Go to theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. You get full access to all our great writing and ad-free versions of The Athletic's podcasts, including this one. That's theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. Sign up now. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. 
Head over to MichelobeUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Okay, let's move on to what we all want to know. Are Manchester United going to sign anyone? Andy? They want to. Yeah? There's money to. Yeah? Hasn't happened yet. No? Lots of talks going on. Oh, yeah? United's view is... Look at you, setting me up here. <laughs> United's view is... Get your notepads dis- out, guys. Here we go. The, di- the disco's just opened and it's open all night and it's going to be a long night. And Oh, yeah. We're not at the 2 a.m. grab just yet, are we? Not, I like the word grab there, but no. <laughs> and I think fans are frustrated, but I've been looking at when some of the players were signed previous seasons. Last year, I think Sancho came in towards the end of July, Ronaldo overran. It was quite late, considering people have been kicking off for a month now. I know a lot of agents are trying to pull Manchester United's pants down at the moment, and I don't like it when I hear that. I've heard people briefing against Manchester United. I don't like that. I think at the current time it's 89 football players have been linked in conjunction with Manchester United yeah have you been counting Carl there's a very good Twitter account I think called United Puppeteer that, that has been updating the count over and over and over again and I've, been, I've been adding to it slowly so I think it's around about 89 and a lot of them are Ajax players or have played for Ajax at some point in time so everyone wants to play for United apparently even when they've had the worst Premier League season of all time that's incredible, isn't it? 89, and that probably underlines quite how much of a silly season this actually is. Of course, The Athletic brings you what they know, and the writers who are with us now, and also, of course, Laurie as well, and others, uh, will keep you up to date. There's been lots of players linked, like Carl suggests, some more certain than others, and some have been directly tweeted uh, by Mr Mitten, who's with us now. Every single away end sold out, fans singing your name, Old Trafford packed week after week, Huge games all the time under a boss you can trust. Bus journeys across Manchester capped at just £2 from September. You know it makes sense at Frankie 21 Go on, Andy. I'm trying to accentuate what he doesn't have at Barcelona, right? So they're away following the bobbins. The home crowds go up and down. He's not the main man there. He could be the main man at Manchester United. Eric Ten Hag has had a bigger influence on his career than any other manager. I know that Xavi likes him. Uh, it was done a bit tongue-in-cheek, but I mean it as well. And I'm obviously not biased. You mean he's not going to be getting the bus? He'll see the tweet and he might get a bus. And if he's got any sense, he should get on a bus driven by Rich Arlison. I love that story, by the way, around the Champions <laughs> League final. That's not a hint that Rich Arlison's coming to Manchester United, no, by no, the way, before Rich people Allison. go mental with that. Uh, the, the bottom line is he's Manchester United's number one transfer target. Barcelona are willing to sell him and there is an impasse over money at the moment and there's a lot of poker going on and I'm seeing it from both ends. I've been writing about it from both ends. 
And having lived in Manchester and Barcelona, I'm well qualified to advise Frankie that moving to Manchester would be a good idea. I was going to do a tweet, but you don't get enough characters. I was going to say, just compare the music, right? New Order in Manchester, Stone Roses, Oasis, The Smiths, Elbow Blossoms, James Cortinas, Happy Mondays, Bee Gees, Take That, Harry Styles, Charlotte and Space Monkeys, Simply Red. Compare that with the ketchup song. Is that Barcelona's finest, is it? I think it's from Andalusia. But if any Catalan musicians are listening to this, I really do apologise because I know there's a decent scene going on there, but it's nothing like as good as Manchester. He could he could go there and, and see a different side of football. And I know he wanted to play for Barcelona as a kid. He used to take his family holidays on the Catalan coast. Well, you've done it for three years. Your dream's been realised. Try something new. He's not been to the Irwell Riviera yet, has he? So Not been to the Irwell. Never tried a Greg's. The People's Museum's very good. Yes. I'm a big fan of the People's Museum. Manchester's a good city. Uh, you know, a fourth division Spanish footballer came to me last week and said, I want to live in Manchester. And I'm trying to help this lad. He's a great lad. He speaks four languages. He's got a good degree. And he can't because of Brexit. So I'm trying to help him get a job. And my motivation is I want him to go to the city where I'm from and have a positive experience. Because a lot of people internationally... When you say Manchester, and it happened to me two days ago when I met a couple from the Basque country, uh, it's very industrial now, and their viewpoint is stuck in the 1980s when Manchester and all them big northern British cities did did struggle after post-industrialisation. Manchester is a good city. It's a really good city. I'm not saying it's New York or London or Paris, but it is a good city, and professional footballers like to live there because the professional climate is one which... They usually appreciate. There are issues. Some of them have been robbed. We know about that. It isn't sunny every single day. It doesn't stay light in winter until 9pm. That's the one thing I hear more than any football. When I speak to footballers, how dark it goes in the winter. Really? That, that is the one thing. More than anything else, it's like it goes dark at 4 o'clock. Frankie, if you're listening to this, I'm lying. <laughs> it stays light and it's sunny all night. Um, does it not? Does that not happen in Barcelona? No, well, it's further south, isn't it? It's... Right. I didn't think it'd be that that different. To be fair, it would be it would be six thirty as opposed to four thirty. But Frankie's not from Barcelona. Frankie's from Holland. Yeah, so that's closer again, isn't it? His culture and climate is similar to Northern England. They like a pint. They like to travel away in huge numbers. He'll get all that. If you look at when Barcelona play away in the Champions League, they take two men on and his dog. Frankie, you grew up in Holland. You knew the huge numbers which Ajax took, Feyenoord took, PSV took. Brilliant away followings. You can get that back again, son. You can be there, going to Goodison Park away, smashing in an 88th minute winner, running to the away end, diving into the away end. These things are missing from your life at the moment. I hope he's listening. And you'll be well paid too. The money's not bad. Carl? Oh, I mean, yeah, I'm going to change the United shirt right now. You signed me up. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> um, right, another player who uh, Andy may not need to give the hard sell to, to be fair, if, if certain stories are to be believed. And that's the Ajax winger, Anthony, who it sounds like is edging closer to a deal. Again, keep your eyes peeled to the Athletic for the very latest on this. Carly is a player that you've written about 
very recently actually you've done a series of articles shopping for ten Hag the striker edition has just dropped which we'll talk about in a moment but the right wing edition had a special focus on Anthony and he was a player that stood out to you oh yes so he was the successor to Akim Ziyech and was starting right winger from basically after Ziyech goes to Chelsea a real key component of that team that took on all comers in the Netherlands and had a very nice run in the Champions League last season. He's a bit different to Ziyech, so Ziyech was very much cut inside, shoot um, on his left foot, whereas Anthony got a little bit more chalk on his boots. Uh, the right-back, Mazarus, who's going to go to uh, Bayern Munich, would do a lot of underlapping runs and he'd do loads of crosses, but also he could cut inside, shoot all the time. Really nice player. Um, is Brazilian, but is very much of the Brazilian middle class, I think is an important distinction to make there. And has a really nice first touch and a little, a little bit of a Brazilian flair to him, shall we say. I think he's a great player. I'm going to be... <clears throat> if he ended up at Manchester United, I would be quite happy. If he didn't end up at Manchester United this summer, I wouldn't be devastated. Okay. Why? Because I was sold Jaden Sancho right winger for two years, and before anything, while I, you know, we understand Manchester United are possibly in the market for a right winger, I am of the personal opinion where that Manchester United would be much better off buying a right back, moving Sancho over to the right hand side, and then running with their current options at left wing and letting Sancho do Dortmund Sancho things on the right for now. So if Ten Hag's formulation is actually no Sancho is better on the left, I should get Anthony in. And then we'll do it that way. Great. Amazing. Fantastic. I'm not going to question Ten Hag's plan. Um, however, at this point in time, where I can't quite see all of Ten Hag's plan. I still kind of want to see Sancho on the right-hand side for at least half a season. Okay. An interesting aspect to this, Andy, um, is the fact that obviously Ten Hag has worked with De Jong previously. He's obviously worked with Anthony at Ajax when he was there. Uh, Julian Timbers, another name that was heavily linked with United until Louis van Gaal got involved. There seems to be a lot of... Ten Hag used to work with this player, so United are interested. Maybe even more so than... Because it often happens with new managers that they want to go back to clubs. You're thinking people like Fellaini, obviously, that, that David Moyes brought in, Matic, who, who Mourinho brought in, etc., etc., etc. But with Ten Hag in particular, it seems to be a lot of this. Is, is this because you think he needs people around him who understand the way that he wants to play to try and then spread that to the rest of the squad? Or is it just lazy journalism? It's two things. Managers trust players throughout the world who they've been working with. Uh, it would be perceived as a step up from Ajax to Manchester United for those players. The agents of those players will not be shy in coming forward, sensing that they could do a huge deal, probably the biggest deal of their lives, uh, by putting a player not just into the Premier League, but to the biggest club in the Premier League. Or maybe Tenar just likes the idea of having three lads called Anthony up front. <laughs> That'd be top, wouldn't it? Actually, given the form of Martial. Triple A. Yeah. That might not be happening. So, only he knows exactly what he wants. We've all been told different um, bits of information. He's the manager. I think he's got to be trusted to work with John Murta to bring in the players who he wants in the positions that he wants and try and get Manchester United better. First of all, stop losing every away game. That's a start. Just get a draw in one away match and make the improvements. We're just going to keep seeing these names and names and names. I was never told that right wing was a priority position. Totally with Carl in the Jaden Sancho. 
although he was actually bought to play on the other wing. I didn't find that out until about March. But he deserves a second season. I don't think that we've seen anything like his full potential yet. I'd say the same about Rafael um, Varane as well. I'd expect all the players who stay there to be thinking we've got to be much, much better. I'm not, be, I'm not a big fan of them putting pictures of themselves in the gym because I'm thinking this is too soon, this. This is less than a month since Crystal Palace away when you're an absolutely abysmal perform on the pitch, not in the gym in Dubai or Los Angeles. But Tenaghi has been working with John Murta right throughout. He was seeing him a lot in Amsterdam when he was still at Ajax. And United are playing a game of poker. If they don't play it well, what will happen is the club will continue to make the same mistakes. And that is overpaying for players and not being smart enough in the transfer market. And that's where you get a situation where the players are paid that much, they can't get rid of them. And the players are underperforming as well. Don't don't bow to what social media says. Jurgen Klopp doesn't bow because Liverpool fans are saying, sign somebody now. Be strong in your own decision-making because United have been weak in the decision-making. And that's an area which needs improvement. Another thing as well, Carl, am I right in saying that Ten Hag's still not met the team? I believe they've had some sort of brief conversation in and around the end of last season. So he's certainly not held a training session, has he? He's not seen any of these individuals up close and personal to get a proper judge. And that's even just one session, let alone a month's worth, two months' worth, etc. Et well, you consider how close pre-season is and the pre-season tour. That makes any transfer deals is particularly tricky. So you talk about Andy and, and this game of poker. Frankie de Jong's in, I think he's in Las Vegas at the moment. He's on holiday holiday right now. Um, and he seems... The general idea from Frankie de Jong, apparently, you know, outside looking in, apparently is, we'll figure this out when I come back from holiday, which, great, okay, let's not talk about Frankie de Jong until he gets back from holiday. However, Manchester United... Are we allowed to do that? <laughs> Would be nice. Uh, but, you know, United... Ne- so Andy's miring him <laughs> while he's in Las Vegas then, basically. That's what you're saying, yeah? He's going to be waking up in here in Las Vegas now, putting his phone on and having whatever Americans have for breakfast, so double waffles, cheeseburger, pancakes, yeah. pizza, waffles. He's about, to go, he's about to go in the gym and go, hang on, what's wrong with going to the gym? I'm like, <laughs> oh, yeah, he is. I better not post that now. <laughs> Sorry, mate, I didn't mean that about you, <laughs> Frankie. Yeah, so I, th- I think I think the Frankie the Young situation is, is at impasse for financial reasons, whatever negotiations, and the fact that he's on holiday at the moment. If we look at three or four other players, they seem to be slow moving in terms of, if Eric Ten Hag wanted Anthony, you consider Eric Ten Hag probably knows Anthony's agent and phone number. That should be fairly straightforward if you compare that to you know, another Ten Hag player. Sebastian Allaire seems to have gone to Dortmund in the space of two weeks for a pretty agreeable fee. Um, so it's, it's that very complex thing of, I can only see what I can see. And from where I'm stayed, it looks as if Manchester United very much going, let's get Frankie de Jong through the door and then we'll take care of other things. I don't think that's true. I'm going to believe Manchester United are working at multiple things at once. But it is very confusing what's going on right now. And it does seem that there's going to be a lot of quick moves during a pre-season tour when ideally you'd want to get a lot of these players through the door before they go off to Thailand and to Australia and to Norway. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's talk about strikers then, because you said that it was unlikely that United were going to prioritise a right winger. It sounds like that might actually be happening at the moment. What about the position of striker? You've written about it in your shopping series, Carl, as I said before. How likely do you think it is that United will bring in someone in this position? This one's a complete crapshoot, if I'm allowed to use that word. <laughs> what does that mean? Crapshoot. Uh, so widespread, throw everything at the wall, see what sticks. Oh, so sticks. not rubbish, as in crap, toilet. No, just... Uh, you're just shooting loads everywhere. Uh, I wish you could so see quite Carl's hand movements at this point. <laughs> <laughs> Think jazz hands. So, uh, Laurie uh, reported before Ten Hag was announced that Manchester United were in the market for a two midfielders, one to be box-to-box, one to be number six, a right-sided attacker, and a centre-forward. And I think we've been on this podcast before, but well, that's just your shopping list from the summer of 2020. Again, oops. So last time when I went out shopping for a striker, they got Cavani. This summer, if they're going to go get a striker, they should probably try and get a striker who's Cavani, but 25 years old. But those strikers have already been gone to various clubs in the Premier League already. I also think it's quite difficult to try and buy a striker this summer because Cristiano Ronaldo would conceivably want to start every single Premier League game that his body will allow. I don't think he's going to play every Premier League game because he's got issues with hip flexor and he probably wants to peak at the World Cup. So any offer United are making for a striker is, hi, do you want to play? You're going to play all the Europa League group games and any midweek Premier League games and you're not going to come on for half an hour because Ronaldo tends to play 90 minutes. Hard sell that, isn't it? That's difficult. That's a hard sell. That is a hard sell. Um, There are players that could do that job, but I think are probably you're probably buying a player a year early and there are players that could do that job right now but also would go, why am I sitting on the bench while a 37, soon to be 38-year-old Cristiano Ronaldo is playing games. So I think, I could absolutely, I absolutely think Manchester United probably need another striker. I think Cristiano Ronaldo will tell you United should probably go out and get another striker. I think even Marcus Rashford, who can play as a number nine, would say you might want to get another striker in here as well. I'd be interested to know what Anthony Martial thinks about this. <laughs> but I think another body there would be very useful. I spoke to someone who played in the Premier League as a striker about this, who, who currently works in football and his job is he, he's scouting, he's watching a lot of football, he's working at a very high level. And he said, there's not a lot of strikers out there. It's not like it was. He said, wind back 20 years and look at the four or five strikers Manchester United had said the game was completely changed. This is someone who's played hundreds of games in the Premier League. He knows what his stuff is. The formations are changing. There are, there are a few standout strikers there. There's so much smoke and mirrors going on with the ones who you see linked as well. So Darwin Nunes. So I spoke to people about this in Lisbon, where Benfica play, um, in Manchester and in Uruguay and in Spain. 
and I got back completely different versions of the truth. So I was told that one agent was saying Manchester United thought they had him but were too arrogant and lost him. I was told from a brilliant source Manchester United were never in for him, never um, put a bid in, in for him. And I'm thinking, people are telling me the opposite thing. They can't both be right. So there's a lot of school duggery going on at the moment. And it's easy for an agent to come out and link a player with Manchester United. It's less easy for Manchester United to come out and defend themselves uh, and say, you know, field 700 phone calls a day and say, no, we denied it. We're linked with this player and that player and that player. It's very difficult to control that because the minute Manchester United actually want to sign a player... <laughs> They're not going to um, tell a, a lie with it. I think the bottom line is a lot of players have gone. You know, I do need to bring new players in. And I think some of the players who played in four positions might not be ready yet. We've lost experience. We've got out of form forwards. And Cristiano's the same age that, that is, is the age that, that he's at. If no one's brought in, I think United fans would be very worried at the start of the season with what the team have got up front. I think one thing that is, I'd say, encouraging is that Ten Hag has proven across his career he's quite fluid with how he likes to use a striker. Uh, I often like to use describe strikers as scalpels, swords or sledgehammers, and he's used all three. He doesn't have to have a particular type of player to play as his number nine. He can you know, have a big lad up top and whipping some crosses. He can have a nippy guy around the channels. and Should be hatchets saw... and hammers, standing lives and spanners, <laughs> yeah, Carl? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, wouldn't it be? It would be nice. Um, and I'm going to do it again. I'm going to do that thing I do every six months where I say, Donny van der Beek. Up front? Well, if you look at Ajax's run to the Champions League semi-finals in 18-19, it was Dusan Tadic as the false nine and Donny as the number 10. I don't think it's impossible that Eric Ten Hag can look at his options at his front four and say, I would put not Cristiano Ronaldo as a number nine and then put Donny van der Beek as a number 10 and say, you two are going to play one drops and Donny attacks the space. In a... I'm not going to say it's going to happen all the time. I'm not going to say it's going to happen three games in a row, but I would, I, you know, for maybe half an hour, you might watch Man United next season and go, oh, look, Donny's, Donny's at a 10. He's running there. Right half space. He scored a goal. That's nice. I look forward to giving you a credit, Carl, on that particular eventuality <laughs> pairs through in October or whenever it might be. Um, I want to point you in the direction of a couple of articles on The Athletic for Manchester United. At the moment, Paul Ballas, a new signing for The Athletic, has written about David De Gea and how he sees the potential issues he may have fitting into Eric Ten Hag's uh, style of play. Maram Albahana also has categorised all Manchester United signings in the post-Alex Ferguson era, which is a very interesting and quite long read, uh, but worth it. And there's also a story up there at the minute as well from Daniel Taylor about the fact that the big six clubs in England historically haven't done a massive amount of business between themselves, but could that be about to change? I'm sure you've heard about Chelsea's interest in Raheem Sterling. Uh, it's not something Manchester United have really been involved with in the past, Andy, is it? So Alex Ferguson really was quite firm on the idea of not trading with direct rivals, and they've carried that forward in recent times to include even West Ham, Newcastle and Everton. I mean, they were drawing a line at about 12 at one point, weren't they? 
Yeah, and when players who've not fully understood it tried to move from United to Liverpool... You're uh, going to talk about Heinzer. Gabriel Heinze, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> oh, Jordi Cruyff. Jordi Cruyff yeah. was... The, yeah, they wanted him as, uh, uh, as well. Um, Ferguson was adamant, no, we don't do business with them. And indeed, the last time United and Liverpool traded was Phil Chisnell um, for, in 1962. He passed away a couple of years ago, Phil. Um, United have traded with City more when City were not a threat. So a lot of players went to City on their way down. People like um, Sammy McElroy or maybe players who'd not fully made it at Manchester United like Terry Cook, Andy Cole, Peter Schmeichel, both did very well for Manchester City. But this was the old City. It's changed a lot. But the, the thrust of the argument in the article, and the article is well worth reading, is that the top Premier League clubs are paying the players that much that there's, they've got so few suitors. And nowhere does that ring more true than at Manchester United. The problem at United is the team have been that bad. No one wants to sign those players. Not just an economic <laughs> argument at the moment. But yeah, you can see it. And players are allowed to decide where to go to as well. And if you're Sterling and you're from London and a London club comes in for you and things aren't rosy where you are, you can see that, that that's very attractive. Still would have think it would have been great if United would have signed Steven Gerrard from Liverpool. Fergie loved him as a player. He was a brilliant player. And that would have boosted Manchester United and really damaged Liverpool at the same time, which would have been wonderful. And that was the entire theory behind Real Madrid signing Luis Figo from Barcelona. We will go to our main rivals, we'll get their best player, damage them and boost us. And I just love the balls they had in doing that and pulling it off. Although to this day, Luis Figo cannot go back to Barcelona. Yeah. I once had a cup of tea with Phil Chisnell, actually. Uh, I think he lived in Ermston, Andy. It was near your sort of neck of the woods. And um, we did a story on the fact that he was the last player to be transferred between Liverpool and Manchester United or the other way around. Um, the last player to be transferred between Manchester United and Liverpool. I actually went there and did this interview 10 years ago and obviously that's not changed since. <laughs> he had a fascinating story. He was sort of a star of schoolboy football, had come into the Manchester United first team as a Busby babe in the late 50s, made a mark by scoring in the Manchester derby for United, but never quite managed to sort of firm up a first team place. And he ended up playing in an England under-23s game at Anfield under Alf Ramsey, who was the England under-23 boss at the time. And he was spotted by Bill Shankly, who then signed him for Liverpool. So he ended up playing for Busby, Ramsey and Shankly all at the same time, pretty much. <laughs> There's not many players who have done that. Uh, he's a lovely man. Very, very nice man. I was very sad to hear when he passed away because uh, I enjoyed that cup of tea. I also went around his house and had a cup of tea. Yeah, you probably sat in the same chair as me then. Lovely man. I, I, I'd heard you'd been I requested a different chair. <laughs> um, he worked in the malt loaf factory, Phil Chisnell, on... Um, on Stratford Road, he made malt loaf wow. because obviously players of that Serene. that era didn't make that much money. He's got a wonderful claim to fame, uh, as well as the United and Liverpool one. He's the first ever player to touch the ball on Match of the Day. In the very first programme of Match of the Day... Is that right? He he touched the ball, yeah. Wow. But he, he lived in um, he lived in Urmston and he was close friends with a lot of his former teammates. He used to attend the, the player uh, functions... And I remember him saying, I don't envy the players of today. They travel to games in blacked out cars and they live lonely lives in big gated mansions. 
He said, I earned about twice the working wage when I played, but I had great friends and they still are. Yeah, he said about... Eight or nine of the players would still go out together after the game. And if I didn't do that, I'd catch the bus home from near Old Trafford and I'd be surrounded by fans. Frankie, you can get the bus. It's two quid. It's all coming together. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, go and take a look at that article from Dan uh, that's up there on The Athletic at the minute as well. James Horncastle, actually, Carl, just quickly and finally, he, he had an interesting take. He said, this is what Italian football used to be all like in the 1980s, 90s and noughties. The, a transfer between the likes of Juventus into Milan, AC Milan, was quite normal. It's just unusual for, for English football, isn't it? Yes, it's been uh, a problem for three or four years. I also think it's because, well, the top six, either historically or geographically, are supposed to hate each other. Three of the clubs come from London. Liverpool and United go way back, and then two of the clubs are in Manchester. So there has been some movement between Spurs and Manchester United for a bit. There used to be some movement between Chelsea and Arsenal in one direction. But elsewhere, it causes a clog, and I think... Yeah, I mean, some of these football players are very aware of, of how these other fan bases will receive them. Okay, yep. Yeah, like I say, you can go and check out Dan's article up there at the minute. That's it for Talk of the Devils for this week. We'll be back next week. We'll have... Oh, go on, Carl, sorry. Uh, I just want Andy to explain what malt loaf is for the listeners that may not have enjoyed Serene before. Right. <laughs> Let me just get... Have you got a book on malt loaf, Andy? Surely you have. I've not. I've just one second. Right, let me find it now. I enjoy malt loaf. Yeah. It was one of the uh, snacks we got with our oranges uh, post rugby training. Uh, malt loaf is um, a dark fruit bread, which is something of a northern delicacy. It's very good for uh, for sports. For for I got advised to take on lots of malt loaf when I did um, some long cycle rides, and I was always very proud that it was made about two hundred uh, meters from from where I grew up. And very sad when I went past a few years ago and the factory had gone. Sad times. Slow burning energy. One birthday I got presented a malt loaf with a candle in it. When I lived, again, when I lived in a, a house full of rugby boys because we weren't allowed a cake. You had to eat malt loaf instead. <laughs> True story. Okay, um, that's it then for Talk of the Devils. Um, what an interesting place to leave it. Uh, you'll be back next week, I'm sure, for more malt loaf chat and uh, other assorted... <laughs> other assorted tales um, thank you for being with us as always Andy thank you to you Carl thank you to you as well don't forget you can subscribe to The Athletic for just £1 a month for the first six months just go to theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod we'll see you on the next one bye bye Athletic.